Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. I was thinking about, you know, this month and next month and all that's coming up for many of us uh, as we kind of look ahead to the end of the year, there's a whole lot of feasting that's going to happen. I love food. Let's just be honest. You love food. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I love food. And like, this is a month. Like we've got, we got Thanksgiving, we've got holiday parties, maybe Christmas for you, New Year's. There are going to be lots of tables for you to be around. And when you get around those tables, what I found is that there is a mix of emotions in us, right? There might be some joy that's present at the table. You're excited to see people. There could also be a mix of heartache, uh, of brokenness, of loss, of grief. Um, If your family's normal, there'll be dysfunction. (laughs) So I just want to throw that out there. Like if you're like, oh, it is such a mess when our family comes together. That's just, we call that normal. That's all it is. And if you don't have that, we're jealous of you. We're a little upset about that. Uh, But all of us, like, that's all there at that table. And I was thinking, you know, as we're getting ready to get around tables with our family members and friends, I want to talk about the Lord's Supper. Like the table that Jesus himself has prepared for each one of us. And so today we are going to really discover what the Lord's Supper is. How many of you have heard of the Lord's Supper before? Like that phrase, a couple people. What about the Eucharist? Have you heard that word? That means to give thanks. Or maybe you've called it Holy Communion, right? The, the, the communion. So there's all of these names that go around this singular moment where Jesus gathers with his disciples and institutes this meal. Our question is like, what is it all about? Like, is it... Is it symbolic? Is there power behind it? Why should we continue to celebrate together today? So I want us to look at the Lord's table and here's why it's gonna matter so much for each one of us. As you find yourselves around tables this month, you know, whether it's holiday or just your normal family dinner table, or if you're on your own, at at your own, at the table, like when you're there, what we discover here at the Lord's table, there is something that comes with us and it even changes those meals and the way we see others, and the way we view ourselves. So what exactly is this? I read a quote that I want to start off with that I think frames really well what we need to know about the Lord's Supper. The quote says this, in the Last Supper, which is another name given for the moment, we see how the gospel is backward-looking, presently engaging, and forward-looking. So this is just a great summary, if, if you will, of three things that we are to focus on when we come to the Lord's table. Say the words with me that are there underlined. Let's say backward, presently, and forward. Okay, now everybody, not just those of you that refuse to say it. All right, come on. Backward, presently, and forward, right? There's these three, three parts. I want us to discover the significance of the Lord's table today, because really he is inviting us to this table. And I want to say to you, maybe you're here this morning, someone invited you, this is your first time in a church setting, and you're wondering like, okay, how does this apply to me? How does this change my life, my singleness, or my marriage, my parenting, my career, 
Like, is this even for me today if I'm not a Christian? And the answer is yes. And I want you to see how beautiful this is for every single person. So lean in as we read these verses together. Now, the Bible is composed of 66 different books, and we are going to read from Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, the second half. But know that Matthew writes about this, Mark writes about this, Luke writes about this, and even Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians. So this moment that we are to read about, we are not simply reading the Bible. We are reading what eyewitnesses that night saw and heard and wrote down, and it's been preserved for us. That's amazing. And here's what Matthew says. Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. This is Jesus's words. And he's speaking on this night, thousands of years ago, gathered with his disciples and they're celebrating a meal, but he's doing something new. And I'm telling you, the newness that he brings is so powerful for us to see together today. So let's talk about it. Let's go back to the first verse. What did it say? Matthew 26, 26. While they were, say the word, eating. What were they eating? What did they DoorDash? A little Taco Bell? How late was this? Is it okay? Domino's is acceptable after 11 p.m.? Like, what time did they do this? What did they bring to the table that night? We should be asking these questions as we read scripture because what they're eating truly matters. So what were they eating? Well, if we read back a few verses, we see the answer. Verse 19. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared, say it with me, the Passover. The Passover. To which we should ask, okay, what's the Passover? So let's leave Jesus and his disciples here and let's move back a few thousand years to the first Passover. At that point in history, the Jewish people had been enslaved by the Egyptians for hundreds of years. And God was finally going to bring about their deliverance from, from slavery, their freedom. And on the night that they would be freed, he gives them a meal. I don't know what you think about that, but I think that's awesome. Like God's like, hey, you're gonna get freed and you're gonna get food. Like I'm gonna give you the recipe for this important meal. And he calls it the Passover. And there are three important elements that the Jewish people needed to have for the Passover to be the Passover. And it was unleavened bread. Today we might call it matzah, flat bread, no yeast. Wine and lamb. And we're gonna see how each one of those elements mattered greatly at the Passover. The, the, the unleavened bread was to be without yeast because they were to make it in haste and leave. The wine was representative of these promises that God gave the people of Israel. And, and then there was this lamb that they would have. And that night in Egypt, God would bring about freedom by means of a final judgment coming on the land. And yet the people would be spared the judgment. 
And then for thousands of years after that night, remember Jesus is here, we're here in history right now. After this night, God says, now every year you are to celebrate the Passover. You are to gather as Jewish people and have the unleavened bread and the wine and the lamb. And you are to remember. And Sally Lloyd-Jones, an author, she writes that in essence, they would gather and say this, the lamb died instead of us. Like that's the point of the Passover. When they remembered that the people of Israel went free because of God's freedom. So here we are, Jesus, while they were eating, they're eating the Passover. And Jesus is the host and he's the presider. And he does what he's supposed to do. He takes the bread and he gives thanks for it. This is all normal. If you've ever been to a Passover meal, you know that there is a host there. Even today, there is a presider, there's the rabbi, there's the one who leads the Seder. Well, that's Jesus. And what did it say? He takes the bread, he breaks it, he gives it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is, say it with me, my body. Now, today we read that and we have no awe, no shock, no, oh my goodness, can you believe what he said? We just read it. But those in the room that night, I'm speculating, but I think when Jesus says, this is my body, they probably, you hear chairs sliding away from Jesus because they're most likely concerned that his blasphemy is going to bring the wrath of God down in this moment. Like you don't say that at the Passover meal. You don't dare Dare put yourself in this meal that we celebrated for thousands of years. So what Jesus should have said and what you would hear said today if you attended a traditional Passover is the rabbi would take the bread, break it, give thanks for it and say this, behold, the bread of affliction, the very same bread of distress that our ancestors ate while slaves in Egypt. That was the script. And Jesus went rogue. Teleprompter's like, we don't know where he is. I don't know what slide to put up. He's not doing what he's supposed to. Like, what do you mean this is my body? So think about this. He was supposed to point to the bread of suffering. Like the Jewish people remembered the time when their people suffered and their own suffering led to their freedom. And now he says, this bread of affliction It's me. I am the bread of affliction. In essence, what he's saying is I will suffer on your behalf and my suffering will lead to your freedom. Like that is huge. So there's three words I want us to remember from today moving forward. Anytime you celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the first word is this, fulfillment. A big part of the reason why when we come to this table is that we see fulfillment in Jesus. When Jesus says, this is my body, he's saying every part of that Passover meal that Jewish people have celebrated, it was all a sign pointing to me. Like I am the bread of affliction. I will suffer. I will be broken so that you might be delivered. And what you and I have to understand is that if he's not broken and he doesn't suffer, then the affliction falls on us. And he says, no, my body broken for you. Crazy what he does. But he doesn't stop there. He says next, then he took a cup. 
And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So see who's been paying attention. What are the three elements of a good Passover meal? There's the unleavened bread, there's the wine and the lamb, right? Like the bread and the wine are great, but fill me up on some lamb. I need the main course, right? I, I, need, I need the, the, the thing, the showstopper. And that's exactly what the lamb was at the Passover meal. Let's leave Jesus and the disciples and go back again to Israel and Egypt. So if you're familiar with the text or not, maybe you've seen some uh, media portrayal of this moment. God calls Moses and says, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And Pharaoh says what? No, over and over and over again. The God of Israel has told me to let, that you should let his people go. No, I won't do it. And God tests the heart of Pharaoh over and over with what we call the plagues or really the 10 tests. And God's judgment keeps coming against the people. And Pharaoh refuses over and over again. And then finally, God says, this time he will let you go. I'm bringing a final act of judgment on the land. Now, if you've heard this text before, don't grow numb to it. Lean in because there's something you and I have to see here or we'll miss the whole point. So God says, I'm bringing judgment on the land. And this judgment will be an angel of death that passes through the land. And any firstborn male will die. Now, that's a problem, right? Can we agree on that? Firstborn males, real quick, raise your hand. I'm firstborn male. A few of us in here, right? It's a problem for us. What? What are we to do? God's judgment is coming. God says, now, here is how the angel of death will pass over your household. You are to take a lamb and kill it You're going to eat it, part of the meal, but you're going to take its blood and put it over your doorposts. And I know to us, that's weird and creepy. We can can admit that. Like, what in the world? It's what God said. There was a point. Remember, it's a sign. And when the angel of death, the judgment comes, it will see the blood of the lamb on your doorpost and it will pass over you. Now, if you've ever thought, you know what? Christianity is just so exclusive. They're, they're just, they're bigoted, they're closed-minded, they're narrow-minded, they're not for all people. It's so hard to get into heaven. I think you're confusing Christianity with other religions, quite honestly. Because other religions will tell you it's the good who get in and the bad who don't. Yeah. It, you, you pick your religion of choice and they will all have a moral code in hopes that you will reach paradise or nirvana or enlightenment. And all of it is based on your ability to be good. So look at what God does. It is the most non-discriminatory thing. He doesn't say the good will be spared and the bad will be judged. That would be works. He doesn't say Egypt will fall and Israel will rise. That would be racism. He says, my judgment is passing throughout the land. All are guilty. All will be judged. However, I will provide a means of salvation. Those who cover their doors in the blood of the lamb. I will pass over. <laughs> now, I, I don't know, firstborn males, there's a few of us. Could you imagine how scared we were going to bed that night? <laughs> I, God, I hope this sheep works. 
Just kiss your family goodbye just in case. I mean, you're putting your full trust and faith into this lamb, hoping this thing works. Because if not, I mean, you're gone. And that's the point. It's the gospel. It's a picture. Because that next morning in every home in the land, there was either a dead firstborn son or there was a dead lamb. And no one was spared because they were good enough and no one was spared because of their race. The only ones who found salvation were those who put their full faith and trust in the blood of the lamb. And God tells his people for thousands of years now, you will remember that and you will celebrate that, that I brought judgment and I brought provision for safety for all who would trust and believe. So let's come back to Jesus and the disciples. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Do you know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Paul, none of them record there being any mention of a lamb that night at the Passover meal? Like whose job was that? And they screwed it up. It's probably Peter. You had one job, dude, get the lamb. Like I got the room, he got the wine, we got the bread. None of them write that anybody brought a lamb. They're all looking, it was your job. He told you, James, he told you. Where's the lamb? Ah, there is no mention of a lamb that night. And yet the lamb is present throughout. Because when Jesus first enters the scene, his cousin John the baptizer says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Scripture says it's the lamb of God slaughtered from the foundations of the world. Meaning this was God's plan of redemption. And even in Egypt, there was no way that people thought this woolly little sheep is my salvation. They looked to the God who provided it. Their hope was in God. And now Jesus comes and he fulfills, and here's our second word, there is atonement. My blood poured out for you. The word atonement means to cover over someone's debt. And, and there's this term that you and I have got to know that we see throughout scripture. It's called substitutionary atonement. Right, how many of you, let's go back, and maybe if you're in school still, you, you celebrate these days when they come up. Remember when you would go into class and there would be a substitute teacher? And she had no idea that you were supposed to take a test that day. And she couldn't find the test. And then they wheel in the movie cart and you're like, praise the Lord. <laughs> Jehovah Jireh, and we have a movie day. She has no idea that we're supposed to, like substitution is awesome. Okay, so that times infinity, the substitutionary atonement of Christ, where you and I deserve to be judged for our sins. It should be our lives that are lost. Scripture says the wages of our sin is death. It leads to death. And yet the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. He atones by his own blood. And he says, I've got a covenant I'm making with you. And here's what I know. When God makes a covenant, God keeps his covenant. His promises are yes and amen. They are true forever. And Jesus says, I'm establishing this covenant to you through my blood. Your salvation rises and falls on me, he says. I am the lamb. I mean, he takes that cup and he gives it such new meaning. It's me. He atones for our sins. And then we have 
not just looking back for fulfillment and not simply engaging presently, but there's a third element. Before we see it, this sounds amazing. And it is amazing grace. Yet understand, it is also a call to complete and full surrender. Because you can't trust in the blood of the lamb and also try and trust in your own ways or your own goodness. That is a disservice to the one who lays down his life for you. This is an all or nothing call. You either surrender your whole self to him and say, I'm gonna trust that you are enough for my salvation, which means now you call the shots, you're in charge, you determine my lifestyle, my choices, everything about me because my salvation is found in you or not. Like it's both beautiful and provisionary and it is a call to surrender. That's how we engage presently as we come to the table. Let's finish up in verse 29, Matthew 26, 29. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So remember I said often when we come to a table, there's a mix of emotions with us. We're celebrating new memories or we're grieving losses. It's kind of all there. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, there are two days that we should have in mind. One, we look back to the day where Jesus rode in on a donkey in weakness And it was a sad day because we knew he would lay down his life and be beaten and mocked and abandoned, crucified. It's, It's a sad memorial. And yet it's also a living memory of what is to come because we look ahead to that day. That day when Christ will return on a horse, not a donkey, and he will establish his kingdom. Like that's a day worth celebrating, a day where all the sad things come untrue. So what that means for you is if you've got grief and heartache and pain and you've seen loss and evil in this world, then we mourn that. And yet at the same time we say, ah, but there will be a day when all will be made right. There is a hope. There is a future that we have with Christ. Now look, I know what Tuesday is. Don't act like you don't know. Selection day, in case you don't. So let me say this to you for a moment, especially if I'm your pastor, like this is your church. Please, wherever you find yourself, whoever you vote for, any of that, please do not put all of your hopes into a political kingdom. Just don't. That's so shaky. Like, why would you think, oh, New York's going to be so much better if this person gets in? Oh, it's going to be hell if, the, if this person gets in. What do you, do you know that on Wednesday, because Wednesday's going to come. It's just the way the calendar works. On Wednesday, do you know who's still on the throne? Do you know there's still a day when he's going to return and establish a kingdom? So like, go ahead, do, do, what, you, do what you're going to do, boo. Just you do you. But please, Put your hope in that day, in Jesus. So when we take this cup, we look ahead to that day. You know where God's country is? It's not some state of your choice. I want to hear about God's country is the South, the West. God's country? I mean, it's where his people are. It's his presence. 
It's his kingdom here and now. So like we're going to take today and we're between two days. We're between the day that's already been and the day that is yet to come. And we've got joy and we've got hope and we've got confidence because it's found in the Lord. And I'll bet you, but I'm excited to drink with Jesus. That's awesome. <laughs> like he's just waiting for us. You know it's going to be good. The question is, what about now? Well, we look back to fulfillment. We presently engage in the atonement. And here's the third word. You got to write this down. Restoration. We put our hope in the day of restoration. So on your hardest days, on your most joyous celebrations, don't allow any of it to shape your identity. Your identity is found in Jesus. Doesn't this sound good? Maybe like too good to be true. You might be wondering today, okay, this sounds amazing, but like, is this really for me? Like, Pastor Keith, I'm pretty jacked up. I know, me too. You're not alone. I mean, who qualifies to come to the table? How good do you have to be to get an invitation to that? Well, let's just talk about who was there that night. Like, the best of the best, flawless disciples, the religious, the leaders, the best society had to offer? No. You know who was there? Let me show you. Matthew chapter 26, verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with, say it with me, the 12. The 12? I think maybe Jesus invited the wrong people. Maybe he didn't know what Judas would do. Judas got an invitation? I mean, maybe that should have said the 11. They forget Peter too. He's about to deny him three times in like four hours. Be there with the 10. Are you just, what about just John? Like John was good. At least he stayed for the crucifixion. Why doesn't that verse just say like Jesus and John were hanging out? He just found the best one he could. Doesn't say that. And, and it gets crazier. You thought you've had a dysfunctional family meal? Look at this one. The next verse. While they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. That's awkward. <laughs> hey, Peter, pass the bread. By the way, someone's gonna betray me here. Like, what is he doing? He's putting on full display the flaws of those present at the table. It gets crazier. Just one more verse, because it's, so, it's just funny. Then Judas, comma, because Matthew knows at this point, the one who would betray him said, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. And Jesus answered, you said it. <laughs> like, I, know, I just think like, this is crazy. If today you feel so unworthy of the blood of Jesus and his broken body, let me tell you, that's exactly why you are worthy of it. Yes, amen. If you come to this table and think, eh, I'm a good person. I don't really need Christ. I'm going to set my own path. I'll define identity and relationship and my lifestyle. I, I got all this. Jesus is kind of an extra to what I already have. You're missing it. This is a place where the disqualified are qualified because of the grace of God. Yes, amen. And where you're invited. And I just got to believe, I think we should make up t-shirts. If Judas was there, I'm coming. <laughs> Like, that's awesome. Like, now I will say to finish the passage, scholars debate 
whether or not Judas stayed for the actual Passover meal, because John writes, Judas got up and left. So there's two things you need to know. The first is this, everyone is invited. And we believe that at Blaze Church. Judas was invited to that table. Second is this, everyone has the free will to stay or to leave the table. You get to choose. You get to put your full faith in Jesus today and say, I will live surrendered to him and I want him to define what my life looks like now. And suddenly he starts calling the shots. Or you say, I think I'm gonna try this thing on my own. You have the freedom to do that. But here's what we need to know. Just like in Egypt, the judgment's gonna fall on somebody. And Jesus lovingly steps into our place and says, let it fall on me. Let me end by sharing with you the words of Paul that he writes to the church of Corinth and to us today on how we are to approach the table. And he says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight: Everyone, notice everybody, the pastor, the leaders, the people, every, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Why? The next verse, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Go back to verse 28 for a second. Everyone ought to, what's the word? Examine. We ought to examine ourselves before we eat and drink. Now, I came from a tradition growing up where the examining of myself was mainly emphasized on, you need to examine if there is sin in your life. Like, I just got to make sure that when I show up to this table, there is no sin. You hear the bells? They're all, the bells are tolling. They're just, they're, they're ringing for us to examine our hearts, right? That we want to examine ourselves and say, is there any sin in my life? Okay, let's play this out for a second. Uh, anyone here want to admit that there's no sin in their life right now? <laughs> like, what is that? That like, maybe I should just pray a quick, like, forgive me of the sins I know about and the ones I don't know about just in case. Because if I take this cup, I do not want to die. <laughs> like, I, I didn't take communion forever because of that. I wasn't risking that for some juice, a little shot of juice and a little cracker. No. So maybe it's not we examine ourselves for sin, but rather we examine ourselves for Christ. Because what does the next verse say? For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Here's what you have to know this morning. As we get ready to partake, if Christ is not the Lord and Savior of your life, then the judgment falls on you. And we might say that's not fair, but think about the gospel. God himself, who is holy and set apart, who establishes fairness, the creator God says, yes, yeah, sin must be atoned for. Well, that's not fair. Ah, my son will come and atone for you. And you call on his name and the judgment falls on him. And you know what? That's not fair. We should pay the price for our own sins. And yet God in his grace sends his son to die for us. It is the most unfair religious system set up. The creator God suffers. The bread of affliction is broken for you and I. So let me ask you, have you put all of your hope and faith in Jesus today? Is he the Lord and savior of your life? Is he the one who determines right and wrong for you? And if not him, then who? 
Maybe it's you. You create your own morality. You set your own standard. You look to culture that is constantly fluctuating on what's right and what's not. Somewhere you have a moral compass. God alone says, I'll set the standard. I'll determine what's right and holy. I'll determine what is sinful and I will provide the blood of the lamb to cover over your sin. All of this at the table. Fulfillment, atonement, and restoration. And today we will take together and celebrate and remember and give thanks for what God has provided. I want us to have a moment of reflecting. So I'm gonna ask you, if you would, to just bow your head in honor and close your eyes as we pray, just to create a space where you might reflect on what we've discovered today. And I would say as you're sitting here and, and as I'm standing that we just silence ourselves and think about what Christ has provided. His body, the bread of affliction, his blood, the atonement of our sin. The day that he promises all restoration will take place. In your own way, right now, just thank him. Just think of all you're grateful for. Whisper to him, thank you, Lord. And I will lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving. Father, our hearts are filled with gratitude today as we have taken extended time to look at the table your son prepared for us. And we thank you that he is the fulfillment of all that you started in Egypt thousands of years prior to your son coming. And we thank you that you are willing to give up your firstborn and that he would die in our stead so that we might be forgiven. May we have gratitude and awe and reverence as we approach your table today. May we recognize that you have provided for us a means of salvation that we can never provide in our own selves. And we say thank you. And we give you thanks. We trust in you. And we look to Jesus as our Savior. As you continue to be in that moment of prayer, I want to invite you who do not yet know the Lord as your Savior to put your faith in him. That November 6, 2022 would be the day where you fully surrendered and said, I'm no longer going to trust in my own morality, in my own plan, in my own path, but I am going to trust in Jesus who alone paid the price for my sin. That you are hearing the gospel today that says, apart from Christ, we are lost and dead in our sin. And that is exactly why everything you've tried that has promised you some sense of freedom and purpose has fallen short. You were created to know God. And on your best days, you desperately need him. And in your darkest moments, you desperately need him. And he is here for you today. And I wanna invite you to put your faith in him right now. And so we as a church will call on his name through a prayer. And the power is not in the prayer. The power is in Jesus. Scripture says, all who call on his name will be saved. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ was risen from the dead, we are saved. And so now we will call on his name and I invite you to call. And then to celebrate in the Lord's Supper. And so would you pray this with me?
we say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died and rose again so I could be forgiven. Thank you for new life. Today I surrender mine. Thank you for making me new. In Jesus' name, amen. We believe what scripture says. You call in his name and you are made new. We have a resource we wanna give you. If today you made that decision to say, Jesus be the Lord of my life, these are in the back of the room. Just take one with you, read it this week, and share with you what a new life in Christ truly looks like. All of heaven is celebrating that you've put your faith in Jesus. Church, let's join with heaven right now and celebrate with those who are saying, Jesus be the Lord of my life. God has a plan for you.